On behalf of Pastor Mark Driscoll, we want to thank you for allowing us to bring you Jesus-centered Bible teaching. Like Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus. To get all of Pastor Mark's sermons, blogs, books, and other content, please visit us at markdriscoll.org. There you can also sign up to receive additional free content from Pastor Mark and support this ministry with a gift of any amount. Thank you. Well, it is, uh, it's a great joy to be here with you and uh, happy birthday to Pastor Kent. He said earlier, he turns the speed limit today. So is that the Alaska speed limit or oh, the lower, the lower 48? I did find that out, by the way. This is our first time to Alaska. My wife Grace is with me and it's her birthday weekend. And uh, you all keep referring to us as from the lower 48. We didn't know that we lived in America's basement. So thank you for clarifying that and letting us letting us know that we live in America's basement. It's great to be here with you. And everything that we know in the lower 48 about Alaska is from uh, reality TV and tourism. You guys have taken over reality television. We just can't get enough of, oh, look at that guy, he's fishing. Oh, I wonder what's gonna happen. Oh, he got a fish, that's amazing. Um, I thought fish came from the store. No, they come from Alaska. Okay, good to know. Um, we love watching uh, all of the shows on TV and, and most of what we know comes from tourism. And, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, according to everybody I've talked to, the majority or a lion's share of your economy is from tourism, people coming in from the lower 48 and all over the world. And what do they do when they get here? Well, they spend money, said the, uh, the person who works for the Chamber of Commerce. And also, they go out and see certain sites. So you go out and you see the woods, you see the mountains, you see the snow. And particularly, you get on one of those boats and you float out to get in front of huge glacier. And what happens when you get in front of the glacier? You say, ooh, and ah, and, and, and people just stand there taking photos. And here's what I've decided and determined, even just being here a few days, everybody who visits Alaska is looking for God. I'll explain it to you. The Bible says that there is the creator and then there's the, his creation. And if you don't know who the creator is, creation gives you a little glimpse, little perspective, little echo of what the creator is like. This is what it says in Psalm 19.1. The heavens, creation declares the glory of God. And so lots of times people who don't know God, they'll travel all the way up to Alaska and then get on a boat and then go all the way out in the harbor to stand before a glacier because they want something that wasn't built by man. They want something that was built by God. They want something that, that, that man's hands have not formed or fashioned or altered. They want to stand in front of something or be in the presence of something that is bigger and grander and more glorious than they are. And they feel small. And they realize that they're not the biggest thing in the universe. They're not the center of creation. And there's this sense of awe, the sense of wonder, the sense of beauty, the sense of majesty we were made to worship God. We're made to live in the presence of not just God's good creation, but to acknowledge God as the great creator. And so everyone who bows before or stands before or takes a selfie before creation is ultimately looking for God. And for those of us who know the God of the Bible, we can enjoy creation while worshiping creator. Those who don't know the God of the Bible, they end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And I don't mean to be offensive, but I will be. Sometimes this includes 
Those of us who just come from the lower 48 and, and think about this world as if it was sacred and divine and it was filled with God and it is God and, and it would include some of the native religions where there's a confusion between the creator and the created. And so what we want to talk about today is an understanding, a perspective from God's view and God's word on God's world. We want to see as God sees. We want to understand as God understands. We understand creation and our place in it and why we're here and how it all relates to, comes from, and is returning to the God of the Bible. And when you and I introduce ourselves to someone, how we begin is very important. How do you introduce yourself? Where do you begin? Even in the greeting time this morning, how did you introduce yourself? Genesis 1.1 is where the God of the Bible reveals himself, discloses himself. It's where he introduces himself. And we're gonna spend some time in some familiar sections of scripture for some of you. Some of you don't have a lot of Bible knowledge and history. We love you, we're glad to have you and and glad to share God's word with you. And we we want you to come along for the journey. But I was thinking about it uh, this week, driving with grace, we're following alongside of uh, the bay, headed down south to find some big tunnel and animals held in a place where you could take photos and they don't kill you. I don't know if you've seen these places. That's where we went. And as we're driving along, I thought, boy, I bet you a lot of people around here drive down this highway all the time, but you get so familiar with that journey, you stop really being amazed by what's going on in the bay and what's going up in the hills and the change of the colors and the flight of the eagles and the the appearance of the animals. And so what they've done rightly is they've pulled turnouts where you can pull in and stop and take a look. And some of us have been through the Bible so many times that it's good once in a while to stop and pull over and say, okay, let's take a look at this again. There may be some things that we've missed here and we need to revisit and reconsider. And so that's what we're gonna do today, starting in the first lines of the Bible. uh, And there we find that you were made for God. Genesis 1.1 says it this way, in the beginning, God. Everything begins with God. There's a difference between the creation and the creator. Before there's anything, there's God. God is not a part of the world. God is the creator of the world. All that we see, it is like a painting shows us something of a painter. God's world tells us of something of God's character. And it all begins with God. And here's the point. Some of you are here today and you say, man, I've got relationship problems, marriage problem, parenting problem, employment problem, financial problem, depression problem, alcohol problem. Ultimately, under it all, there's a God problem. There's a God problem. You may not know who God is. You may not know what God says. You may not know what God has done. And you may not know how to integrate that practically, functionally, daily into your life to live a life in relationship with God. And so we want to help and love and serve you with any and all of these things. But ultimately, it all begins with God. Do you know who God is? And are you living your life in relationship with listening to this God? And for us, this means as well that God is not just a part of creation. He's separated and everything and everyone comes from him and everything and everyone will return to him and everything and everyone belongs to him. And that ultimately this means that God is not one of the priorities in our life. Some would say, put God first. I would say, put God center. If God is at the center of your life, then God speaks into your marriage and God speaks into what you eat and what you drink and where you work and what you wear and how you spend and what you think and what you feel and what you do. 
In the beginning, God, everything begins with God. God is the center and in God, all things hold together and without God, all things fall apart. And so the Bible begins with God and then God tells us where we come from. This is good news. He tells us in Genesis 1, 26, here's what God would say. He would say that we were made like God. This doesn't mean that we're part of God or that God is just an impersonal force that fills all of creation and also fills us and flows through the rivers and the animals and the trees. God made this world and this is a beautiful, good and glorious world, but God is separated from and creation is subject to this God. And when this God speaks and reveals and discloses himself, he says it this way, God said. So ours is a God who speaks. Apart from revelation, we don't know who God is. All we're left with is speculation. Religion, philosophy, spirituality, ideology. Maybe God is like this. Maybe God is like that. Who knows? Revelation is where God speaks. And he says, here's who I am. Here's what I do. And then a word comes from God because only God knows what he's truly like. And God said, so God speaks to us. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, this is the first question I ask my kids when they're little. We do a little Bible Q&A at the Driscoll house. How many gods are there? That's question one, okay? So we'll just pretend like we're all driving in the suburban, okay? I'll just ask you, how many gods are there? One. Good job, Pastor Kent. You've got a well-educated congregation. There's one God. But hear me in this, listen to it. Let's read it carefully. Let's pull the car over and take a look at maybe a verse that we've driven by a few times, but maybe have missed something. God, the one God, the only God said, let us. That's plural language, right? That's, that's different. If I, if I told you right here, um, we are here, you'd be like, we? You're big, but there's still one of you, you know? Uh, that's plural language. Let us make man or mankind in our, plural. Well, that's after our, right? What's God saying? This is all the way back to the early church father, Augustine. He would say that this is the first intimation of the doctrine of the Trinity. Some religions believe there's one God. Some religions believe there are many gods. Christianity alone according to the teaching of the Bible, says that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's the doctrine of the Trinity, right here in Genesis 1. Now that understanding, it, it illuminates what God, let us, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, likeness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, sharing, all the divine attributes, here's what this means. God's not lonely. Some religions would teach God made us because he was lonely. And I would say, if you're lonely, get a dog. <laughs> they are far less complicated and far more loyal than human beings. Amen? That's true. That's just totally true. And a dog will love you no matter what. I heard a comedian one time, he said, you know, uh, a dog is better than a person because if you lock a person and a dog in the trunk of a car and then take them for a drive and open up the trunk, the dog will be happy to see you. You know, uh, uh, right, uh, I mean, a dog is just, they're just a lot easier to get along with than people, right? If God was, he, God didn't make us because he was lonely. God isn't lonely. And if he was lonely, he could have done better than me for sure. 
God didn't make us because he was lonely because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they, they have perfect union and communion. They live together. They love one another. They serve one another. They care for one another. Whatever that looks like in this eternal, you know, without beginning, without end, spirit being God of the Bible. I mean, our three pound fallen brains are striving to get to the end of our understanding to figure this out. But God's not lonely. God has someone to talk to. God has someone to do life with. God has perfect union, communion, relationship, love. It's all there within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God made us in the image and likeness of the Trinity. God doesn't say this about the animals, though we love the animals. God doesn't say this about creation, though we love the mountains, the trees, the snow, the rain. We love it all. It's all a great, glorious gift that God gave us. But the only communication is to men and women, and we are communication, revelation receivers, because God made us in his image and likeness for a relationship where we talk to him in prayer, and he talks to us primarily through his word. And here God speaks and he says that he made us in his image and his likeness. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we're part of God. It means that we're made by God and we are unique, distinct from the rest of creation. Um, okay, how many of you ladies got up this morning? What was the first, one of the first things you did, or at least you did before you left the house to come to church? Let's just be honest, what'd you do? You looked in the mirror. Some of you guys, you should have done that, okay? Um, <laughs> We look in the mirror and what we're looking for in the mirror is our, our image, our likeness, our reflection. God made us to be his mirror. God wanted to have his character reflected through our lives to other people. You get that? So we're not the center of the universe, right? Every time you look in the mirror, remind yourself, I'm also a mirror. And God wants to see his reflection. That's what it means, glory, his reflection in my life. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, you love somebody and they say, why do you love me? Because God's loving. Why do you forgive me? Because God's forgiving. Why are you generous to me? Because God's generous. Why are you good to me? Because God is good. Why do you help me? Because God is a helper. Amen? And so what we do then, so ministry is just the character of God being reflected in the children of God to others. And then people would say our good deeds and praise our father in heaven because those are from him. It's a reflection of him. And so God made us in his image and likeness with particular dignity, value, and worth. And he made us to live in relationship with him. He made us to live in relationship with one another. He made us to live our lives in such a way that others would see the glory and goodness of God reflected in our life. And up until this point, everything in the book is great. Everything God made, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. God makes the man and the woman in verse 130, chapter one, verse 31. And it was very good. There's no sickness, there's no sin, there's no death. Everything is as God intended it. Everything is as you and I long for it. We're all wanting, where, gosh, when will the poverty, when will the racism, when will the classism, when will the nationalism, when will the death and the disease and the destruction and the despair and the discouragement, when will it go away? When, we, when can we take the bullets out of the chamber because we're not in danger anymore? When will there be life as it was intended to be with no funerals and no tears? Well, it all started that way. That was the world that God made. 
And before sin even enters the world and before death follows in its wake, God says something that's very curious in Genesis 2.18. He says that we were not made to be alone. We were made for community. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Why? Because if God is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if we are autonomous, isolated individuals living life apart from God and one another, that is not good because we're not reflecting what God is like. What environment is Adam in when he receives this word from God? Perfect. Alaska's nice, but it ain't perfect. People come here to see what the world looked like before human beings got their hands on it. But this is the world that's marred by sin. This is the world that Romans says is cursed and not exactly as glorious and grand as God intended it to be. You are on a front row seat for God's handiwork, but imagine it in its state of perfection. This, this, this is a man living in a perfect world. And what kind of man is he? Unlike all of your husbands, ladies, this is a perfect man. This is a perfect man. No sin has been committed. You've got a perfect man in a perfect place. Everything God made, he said, was good or very good. And then he says something is not good. It is not good for that perfect man in that perfect place to be alone. Alaskan men don't believe that. Alaskan men still think that Adam had it just fine. If we could just be in the woods and left alone, everything would be good. God shows up in the woods to Adam. It's the Hebrew word for Alaskan. And and he says to the man in the woods, this isn't good. Now the women are laughing because it's moose hunting season and their husbands aren't here. They're out in the woods proving my point, okay? (laughs) The Bible's not a story just about what happened. The Bible's a story about what always happens. And many people, including many men, come to Alaska trying to get to a place where they could be in the closest that they could possibly come in this life to a perfect place so that they could be alone. And that's not good. True or false, people chasing that functional heaven in the Alaskan wilderness are not doing well. The rates of depression, suicide, Drug and alcohol abuse, spousal abuse, broken families, it's very high. Because it's not good to live your life apart from God and apart from others. And particularly so if you're an imperfect person in an imperfect place. I I learned this at Fred Meyer. We uh, 
my wife and I, because if you want to learn something, read your Bible and go to Fred Meyer, okay? <laughs> so um, my wife and I are here, and we were going to take a float plane to go up and see the glaciers, because we're from the lower 48, and we needed to ooh and ah and give you some of our money. So you're welcome. So um, my wife, she, we, the, the tour booking person said, uh, you may be able to go near or on a glacier and ice. Well, my wife only packed heels because I married Ginger, not Marianne. So she only packed uh, wedges and heels. And I thought, I don't think this is approved footwear for glacier sightseeing. And so we went to Fred Meyer and she was looking for some boots. And so um, she was looking for boots. I got bored. So I went around just kind of killing time at Fred Meyer. So I got my blood pressure checked and it's um, happy to report it's pretty good uh, for guy in my condition. And then I, I was still bored and we're going to need a new mattress. So I was checking out the mattresses. And then I thought, well, this, this, this could look weird on YouTube. So I got up and uh, went uh, over to the liquor store because I thought, why not? So when you walk into a place, they put the things that are most valued, most important, so you don't forget up front. When you walk into Fred Meyer in Anchorage, what's the first thing you walk by walking in the door? The liquor store. And it's huge. It's like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You got to walk by it, okay? And it's big. So I, I thought I'm going to go in there and I'm going to ask the guy running the liquor store about Anchorage because who would know more about Anchorage than the guy running the liquor store? So I walk in, I said, well, tell me about Anchorage. Tell me about the liquor store. And we're chatting, nice guy. And he said, well, if you buy liquor here, I need to take your ID and card you. I said, look at me. Look, I'm, I'm not 21, if a 21-year-old guy and a 21-year-old girl had a kid who was going to kindergarten combined, that's my age, okay? So I'm not, I said, why would you, and I'm aging in dog years. I, you know, I look, I look older than I am. Um, and so I asked him, I said, why in the world would you have to card me? He said, we have to card everybody because Alaska is the drunkest state in the union. Is that true? Okay, I'm just asking and if you say, I, I hate that point, well, then go talk to that guy because it, it was his point. I said, well, what happens here? He said, people are depressed. And he said, people are struggling and they're hurting. So there's a lot of pain and brokenness in Alaska. And they wait for a couple thousand dollar check to come from the government every year. Is that true? See, we don't do that where I'm at. Where I'm at, they take your money. You guys have a way better deal. Uh, <laughs> And he said, that's good with the price. He said, then they get their couple thousand dollar check and then they go to the liquor store and they get liquor so they can be drunk all year to forget their life. The key to fixing your life is not drinking to forget it, but remembering Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Okay? And you know what happens? A lot of independent, isolated, self-sufficient, rugged, I'll take care of myself. Guys are not, they're all alone. They live alone. Even if they got a wife and kids, they make sure they get a lot of alone time. It's not good. Let me say there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Okay? So I've got some guys giving me the stink eye. Okay? I see you. I see you. I see you guys. With the, I could tell you. Some guys are like, I'm carrying a gun. You need to just watch how far this goes. Okay? I understand. Okay? There's a difference between, see, part of the reason that you bring in a guest preacher is so that you more fully appreciate your normal preacher. So the difference between solitude and isolation is this. 
Solitude is where you get alone to be with the Lord. Isolation is where you try to run away from everyone, including the Lord. Jesus practiced solitude. The Bible says that he often withdrew to lonely places to be alone with the Father. So some of you guys, you're like, hey man, I, I like to go hunting, I like to go fishing, I like to go out in the woods, I like to be alone. And I sing to the Lord, I talk to the Lord, I pray to the Lord, I listen to the Lord, I get close to the Lord, I get clarity on my life. Okay. I go out there because there's a couple of godly guys and it gives us a time just to talk and, and we feel closer when we shoot things, you know. Okay, that's fine. You know, but if it's, I just like to be alone so that I can drink and I can hide I just like to be alone because I've been hurt and I don't want anyone to get close enough to hurt me again. What's true for a perfect man in a perfect place is true for all of us sinners in this imperfect place and that it's not good to be alone. What happens then is that uh, sin happens. God provides for the loneliness of the man with a woman and then immediately Satan shows up. And I want you to see the time frame. Satan doesn't even show up until they're married. Some of you are single. You're like, it's really difficult. I can't wait till I'm married and things get easier. And all the married people chuckle. Did you notice that? Because Satan loves to attack marriages and he loves to attack families and he loves to take your children. Okay? He's looking to kill as many generations as he can. Adam and Eve get married, then... Satan shows up and they sin. They do what they weren't supposed to do. They rebel against God. And then the Bible records for us their reaction. And again, the Bible's not just what happened. It's what's always happening. Here's how we read it in Genesis 3. They sewed fig leaves together. Camel. Right? Right? It's camel. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. Now they're covering one another. You can't know me. I can't know you. I'm going to hide parts of me from you and you're going to hide parts of you from me. This is what happens. We hide from each other. We don't want anybody to know who we are. We're ashamed of who we are and what we've done. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking, continue, in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The man and woman sin. The first thing they do is put on camel. The second thing they do is go hide in the woods. I'll just let that sit there for a minute. They sin against God. They put on camel and run to the woods. Sound familiar? And what they're doing is they're trying to hide from the presence of the Lord. So you got Adam and Eve hiding behind a tree. See, when we sin, we get foolish, we get childish. We start saying and doing things, you go, that doesn't make any sense. My, my, I'm the oldest of five kids, one of my brothers, when he would do something bad, and we all did often, he thought if he closed his eyes, he became invisible. <laughs> so he'd hear something crash in the other room, and my parents would walk in like, okay, what's going on? And here'd be my brother, standing very still with his eyes closed, right? And the truth is that when we sin, we're, we're, we're childish and we do silly things. I mean, here, 
God is like a father. And it says that, you know, they cover themselves in camel, they go hide in the woods and they're hiding from the presence of God. Yeah, they're hiding from the presence. Can you hide from the presence of God? God's not like, I don't know, they're behind the tree. That, but I don't know what's going on behind the tree. God sees everything. God knows everything. But let me ask you this. What are you trying to hide? See, when we sin, we, we try to hide it. As if God doesn't know. As if God doesn't know what's on the web browser. If God doesn't know, you know, what the money was spent for. As, as if when it got dark out, God's like, I don't know. I couldn't see anything. It just, it was dark and... God sees all, God knows all. And here's the truth. When we sin, God comes looking for us and we go running from him. And they hide themselves from God and they cover themselves from one another. And we've been doing the same thing. All the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve have been doing the same thing ever since. There are people that have done horrible things and they run to Alaska trying to hide. They get as far out as they possibly can. But you can't escape the presence of God. And the good news is that God goes looking for people in the woods. Okay, that's where we pick up the story. We pick up the story in Genesis 3.15. So God shows up to the man and the woman in camel hiding in the woods because God's willing to go look for people in the woods, even crazy people wearing camo, okay? And God then speaks to them and he's gonna speak to Satan. Now, Satan is a created being. He's not the creator. He's not as powerful as God, but he is rebellious and deceptive, okay? He's gonna speak to the husband. He's gonna speak to the wife. He's gonna speak to men. He's gonna speak to women. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first time that what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and it's preached by God himself, okay? And so God tells us, this is only something that I can fix. That's what God's saying. Adam, you can't fix this. Eve, you can't fix this. You're the problem, not the solution, This is why we don't believe in self-help. We believe in God help, okay? Some of you need to know that you can't fix it. You need God to fix it. You can't straighten out yourself. You've made yourself crooked. He needs to get things straightened out. God is the one who tells them, I have an answer for this problem. I have a remedy. I have a solution. Adam, it's not you. Eve, it's not you. I'm sending Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he's saying here that there are two kingdoms in conflict. There's the the, the spiritual line or seed, right, of Satan, the dragon, the serpent. These are people who hate God, people who oppose God, uh, people who resist God. And then there's the line of the woman. So from Eve will come all of us. And through the line of Eve will come one of Eve's daughters named Mary. She's gonna give birth to a son named Jesus. And everywhere in the Bible, it says, and this was their father, and this was their father, and this was their father. Here, there's no mention of a father. There's just the mention of 
a mother, because Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, is God become a man. He doesn't have an earthly biological father, but he comes through the womb of his earthly mother. He says, you know what? Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be this kingdom battle, this great collision. The serpent, the dragon, is going to have a war with Jesus. God become a man. He's going to come down into the world that he made. He's going to get involved. He's got a rescue plan. There's going to be a great conflict. And Jesus is going to die. And the serpent is going to be crushed. But ultimately, we know the end of the story is that Jesus conquers Satan and sin and death and hell and the wrath of God and everything that Adam lost, Jesus regains. Okay, So here's dominion, here's authority, here's power, and it's all in Jesus. And so I, I wrote it for you this way. Adam turned from the father in a garden. Jesus turned to the father in a garden. Adam was naked and unashamed. Jesus was naked and bore our shame. Adam's sin brought us thorns and Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Adam sinfully substituted himself for God and Jesus is God substituting himself for sinners. Adam sinned in a tree. Jesus bore our sin on a tree. And Adam died as a sinner and Jesus died as a sinner's savior. You and I need to learn that our goal is not to get back to Adam alone in the woods, but to get to Jesus. And how do we get to Jesus when we're lost in the woods? Any of you ever been lost in the woods? Any lost in the woods here? Seems like a real situation to me. I was talking to one gal um, I said, tell me about Alaska. She said, it's a dangerous place. I said, okay, explain that. She said, uh, a friend of mine lived here her whole life and was out on um, one of the mud sloughs. What do you call them? The mud flats. And she said, the tide can come in really fast and it's very dangerous and serious. And she said, my friend had been here her whole life and knew this and got caught in it and drowned not long ago. She said, boy, if you, if you get lost here, you could die. You need to know where you're at. You need to know what's going on around you. She said, this is a dangerous place. So this is not the world as God made it. This is what happens when sin enters the world. My wife and I, we were lent a car by the church. Thank you for that. And we were out kind of going along the highway and somebody was giving us directions. They said, whatever you do, if you pull over to see something, don't take your car down the road or off the highway or down in the woods, park it on the highway if you go in to see something. Because if the car's not there, nobody's gonna come looking for you. And if you're lost, you're gonna die. I said, some of these roads, if you go down them and you get stuck or your car breaks down, nobody will be there for months. Like it's gonna snow for a long time. And then when the snow melts, somebody's gonna go to the store to get some Snickers and then they're gonna find you. Is that true? One of the most dangerous things in Alaska seems to be getting lost all alone in the woods. That's the Bible's language for life apart from God. 
That's the Bible's language for life apart from God. You're just lost. Now, what happens when, let's say there's a couple of people together out in the woods lost. Panic starts to set in. You realize we're in a desperate condition. We need to get out of here. There's always one brave fool who says, follow me. I know where we're going. I'll get us all out of the woods. That's how we got religion. That's how we got spirituality. That's how we got a lot of crazy self-help psychological ideology. Some bold fool stands up and says, follow me, I'll get us out of the woods. And people follow him. And there's a religion, there's a spirituality, there's a political ideology, there's a psychological movement. And under it, I would say, appreciate the, the desire to get everybody who's lost out of the woods. But a bold fool is not a guide. A bold fool is not a rescuer. A bold fool is not a hero. A bold fool is just a way for people to get lost in the woods together. So Jesus comes. God becomes a man. The promise of Genesis 3.15 comes through. It comes true and it comes through the womb of Mary. And here comes Jesus, the second member of the Trinity. And here's how Jesus explains his ministry. He says this in uh, Luke as I find the slide, 1910, the son of man, that's a title from Daniel. It's about God becoming a man, coming to rule and to reign. So Jesus takes this title. Some would say Jesus never said he was God. He said he was God a lot. That's why they killed him. And then he came back and said, I told you so. All right. Okay. So he takes himself here, this title, the son of man from Daniel, came to seek and save the, the lost. Just like Adam is out in the woods, lost, right? God comes and calls out to him. Adam, where are you? Genesis 3, I think it's around verse 9. So Jesus comes and he says, everybody's lost. We're all sinners by nature and choice. We're all lost. We're all doing life disconnected from God. And if it's in the beginning, God, if we don't have God, then everything's falling apart. And nothing comes back together until God is at the center. And Jesus comes as God become man and he, he's the rescue party. Every time you read on the news, someone is lost in the woods, we can't find them. Think we're all like that spiritually. Every time you see a rescue operation, friends and family, you see the National Guard deployed, you see search and rescue out doing their job. So you know what? That reminds me of Jesus. He's out to seek and save the lost. That's who, that's who he is. That's what he does. And you know what happens when you're in the woods and you're totally lost? It's a lonely, scary, dangerous place to be. But just imagine for a moment that you are, you are lost in the woods and you have expended all your energy trying to find your way out. And then you hear someone calling your name. What does that feel like? Oh, I'm found. Praise God, I'm found. I was lost and now I'm found. 
And that's the story of Christianity. That's the story of Jesus. Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. And here's how it works if you don't know Jesus. You may say, I've not been looking for Jesus. He's been looking for you. And he comes and he calls out to you by name, just like he did Adam. Adam, where are you? And whatever your name is, ladies, gentlemen, if you don't know Jesus, he came to seek and save you and you're lost. Under every problem is a God problem. You've wandered off from God. You're on your own. You are absolutely in danger. And you're not gonna find your way out of this woods of sin and death. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost and he calls out to you by name because he knows you and he loves you. The God who is so big that he could make a mountain, that he could create a glacier is so personal and loving that he calls us by name. And he's here today to call you. And then what we do is like every person lost in the woods should do, I'm right here, I'm right here, come get me. We respond, that's Christianity. Jesus comes to seek and to save He calls out our name and we respond, Jesus, take me, save me. You found me. And that's what we're asking you to do today, to respond to Jesus' call to you and then walk out of here with him. Not lost anymore, but found. And what this does is this this restores our relationship with God. And once our relationship with God is restored, we, we see that Jesus is a big brother coming looking for all of us lost siblings. And that ultimately he then walks us out of the woods and his ultimate goal is to walk us home to the kingdom of God where God is revealed as a father. And it says in the Bible that the father has a a family. And one of the lies that Satan is told to even believers in Alaska is you can be reconciled to the father, but you don't need the family. Before the service, Grace and I had the honor of meeting a beautiful family that adopted some kids. How many of you have adopted kids, right? When the kids get adopted, they become a family and the brothers and sisters need to do life together. God is a father, Jesus is a big brother. He's on a search and rescue mission. And as he calls your name and walks you out of the woods, he's gonna introduce you to the rest of the family. And life is to be done with a father and it's to be done with a family. You gotta get to know the rest of the kids. And some of you say, they drive me crazy. Welcome to the family. (laughs) Right, welcome to the family. You can't just have a personal relationship with Jesus because you're gonna be forever with the people of God in the presence of God. God not only reconciles us to himself, he reconciles us to one another. See, Adam before sin entered the world, he had a relationship with God, but he didn't yet have anybody else that he was in relationship with. And God said that that was not good. So you can even have a relationship with God, but if you don't have a relationship with God's people, it's still not good. And what Pastor Ken has you doing right now, he's got you in a series, it's about life. And what he's going after is one of the great opposition strongholds against the good news and the full work of the person of Jesus in the culture of Alaska. And that is, you know, Jesus can come find me, he can save me, he can rescue me, but I have an independent, autonomous, isolated relationship with God. And God would say, no, no, once you're out of the woods, you're part of the family, you need to get to know the brothers and sisters. 
So I want to close with a section of scripture, and we're kind of taking the whole storyline of the Bible, and we're looking at it from the lens of Alaska. And in Ephesians 4, verses 30 rather through 32, is the, the section of scripture that I have used in 20 years of pastoral ministry more than any other in counseling. Let me explain to you what it's about. It's about what to do when you've sinned and what to do when you're sinned against. When you've sinned, you need to be forgiven. When you've been sinned against, you need to forgive. And one of the things that pushes people out of relationship, out of community, and pushes them into isolation and rugged autonomous independence is pain. Somebody hurt you. And then you make an inner vow, even though Jesus says never to do that, that nobody's ever going to hurt you again. The only way to make sure that nobody ever hurts you again is to make sure that no one is close enough that they can ever hurt you again. And if they're not close enough to hurt you, they're not also close enough to love you. And so you're alone. And it's not good to be alone. And the way these kind of inner vows work is they hurt me. No one will hurt me again. I, I'm going to get so, okay, there's people here. I'm going to get so far away. Okay, now I'm okay. Nobody can hurt me. The truth is, and no one can love you. And there's a lot of broken, isolated, wounded, hurting people in Alaska. And Ephesians 4 is a great remedy for that great pain. And and let me say this too. I just feel prophetically to say this to the men. Men who experience pain, men who are wounded, men who are hurt, disappointed by their father, by their wife, by their friend, by a spiritual leader. We don't want to appear weak, and so we overcompensate with strength. We don't want to appear needy, so we become incredibly independent. Um, We don't want to pretend that we are hurting, and so we tend to isolate ourselves. And when we don't know how to process, we either drink to forget or we get angry to rage. And there's another way forward. And it's in Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We've talked a lot about Jesus. We've talked a lot about God the Father. Now we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is he, Jesus says, not it. He is God. He's not just a force that's in the trees and in the animals and in the rivers and in the glaciers. God is a person, not a force. He is forceful. He can create. He can change. He can save. He can accomplish. He can do. But here's what I want you to know. When we sin, we don't just break God's law. We break God's heart. Okay? Some of you were raised in very legalistic, rule-based religious environments. And you were told, don't break God's law. Okay? I'm not encouraging you to break God's law. But I think the thing that would help motivate you not to break God's law is to know that when you break God's law, you break God's heart. Because God's law is an extension of God's heart and God's heart is a father heart. 
How many of you parents, you make rules to protect your kids from harm? That's why you make rules, right? And when the kids break the rules, it's not just that they break the rules, it's they, they break their mom and dad's heart. And mom and dad say, no, don't do that. You're gonna hurt yourself. How many of you have said that to your kids? And it's not just, you broke a rule. No, it's you broke a heart. This is where in Genesis 6, when humanity sins against God, it says that God was grieved in his heart. When we sin, it breaks God's heart. It breaks God's law. It breaks God's heart. God is looking at some of you and he would say, that's, that's not good for you. That's not the life I intended for you. That's not the, the life of abundance, the life of joy, the life of peace and the Holy Spirit that I intended for you. Yeah, you're breaking my laws, but here's the thing. Those laws were like a fence around the yard to keep the kids from wandering off and getting lost again. And, and you're breaking my heart. Do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? To where you speak to him and he speaks to you. And you don't want to sin just because you don't want to hurt the one who's your nearest and dearest friend. You don't want to break the heart of the one who loves you the most. How do we break the heart of God? How do we grieve the spirit of God? He continues. Next verse, please. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What he says is we break the heart of God when we don't forgive. When we're sinned against, the best response is not to sin against others by not forgiving them. It's like someone caused you pain and you decide the best thing to do is to cherish the pain for the rest of your life. When we sin, we need to be forgiven. When we're sinned against, we need to be forgiving. And it's not just so that they can get away from something, but it's so that you can get away from some things. I believe that when we talk, and as Pastor Kent is rightly articulating, get in relationship, get in community, do life together. I believe this is the great barrier. Somebody hurt me. I don't trust people. They're dangerous. I'm not getting hurt again. I'll be out in the woods. When we're sinned against, we have two options. Things can get better or things can get bitter. And if you choose the path of bitterness, it infects and affects all your relationships. You're either a person who's forgiving or unforgiving and that one relationship that's the most painful becomes the precedent setting relationship. If you forgive them, you can live in relationship with other people. If you don't forgive them, then you choose to isolate yourself from other people. Is this true or false? It's true. Because sin separates. We saw this with Adam and Eve. They sin and they hide from God and they hide from one another. That's what sin does. It separates and isolates. And that's what forgiveness from God does, reconciles us to him and forgiveness of others reconciles us with others. Now, 
I know immediately some of you would say, but you don't understand, Pastor Mark, when that person sinned against me, when they betrayed me, when they harmed me, when they hurt me, you don't know what they did and they need to pay for what they've done. And I would say, next verse. Be kind to one another. Isn't this interesting? When we sin, we want kindness. When they sin, we want justice. Law for you, grace for me. Jesus says, no, no, no. How about grace for everybody? Grace for everybody. Be kind to one another. Boy, that assumes you're not living alone in the woods. There's a one another around somewhere. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Okay, God, why would I forgive them? How can I forgive them? God would say, as God in Christ forgave you. Oh, so, so this issue of relationship is actually a God issue. You forgive them because God forgave you. Again, you're a mirror. Forgiven people are forgiving people. If you're forgiven, forgive. They need to pay. Jesus said, already did that. Paid in full. They need to be punished. Jesus would say, read the story. I, I, I went in their place. You can check that off. The wrath justice box has been checked. Here's why you should run to the Lord instead of from the Lord when you sin. God in Christ forgave you. The truth is that we oftentimes forget this. Sometimes we forget it when Satan comes and whispers in our ear and reminds us of all the things that we've done. That's shameful, that's awful, that's deplorable, that's despicable, and we just, oh, that's, yes, that is true. And that's why Jesus died, and he needed to. And one of Jesus' final words from the cross was, Father, forgive them. And then he died to answer his own prayer. And you were forgiven. If you don't belong to Jesus, you give yourself and your sin to Jesus today, you'll be forgiven. If you do belong to Jesus, let me tell you this, you're forgiven. I want that burden off of you. I don't want you to try to pay God back. Right? We believe in Christ, not karma. Our life is not to pay God back, but to reflect God's goodness and glory. It's not so that God would love us, but because he already does. Not so that God would forgive us, but because he already has. What happens to God's people to show that they're forgiven in the Bible, they wear a certain color. Do you know what it is? God's people in the Bible wear white. If you read your Bible, you keep saying white, 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 white. This is why even... um, Christian women on their wedding day will wear white. And I've had certain women come up to me and say, Pastor Mark, I can't wear white on my wedding day. You don't know what I've done. I said, you can wear white on your wedding. You need to know what Christ has done. You're clean. You're not just forgiven, you're clean. And that burden is off of you. That burden is off of you. So the Bible even has this amazing language. Now that I'm living in Phoenix, can't use it, but I can here in Alaska. That, that our sin would be white as, boy, the snow's coming, isn't it? 
when the snow starts, the reason that people love it is sometimes the dirty, filthy landscape gets covered in pristine, beautiful, radiant light. When the snow starts, I want you to open the windows, put your head outside and say, Jesus does this. He makes me white as snow. You're forgiven and you're clean and you're new and you're loved and you're adored and you're adopted and you're cherished. And because of that, you need to forgive, especially your brothers and sisters. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why should you forgive them? Because he forgave you. Why should you forgive them? So that they would see him. And if you'll do that, the result will be relationship and community. The marriages will be great. The kids will be raised in health and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The small groups won't need to recruit and cajole and demand and beg. You'll just say, you know what? I'm so glad that my big brother took me out of the woods. I heard I got a father and some brothers and sisters. This is going to be fun to meet them. And yeah, they're going to drive me crazy because that's what brothers and sisters do. And they're going to say the same thing about me. And that's life as the family of God. And I want you to see that this is a life that only God gives. This is not a life that you can find by yourself This is not a life you can find apart from God. And this is not a life that you can find in the woods trying to go back to an Edenic paradise where everything is perfect and no one can be near you. And this is the heart of God. I was thinking about it, and I'll close with this illustration, when Grace and I went up to see the glaciers, and they're amazing. So in the glacier is life. And as it melts, it takes all of the nutrients for life. It takes um, literally the flow of life, and then it comes down the mountains, right? I talked to a geologist between services and had a brief conversation. I wish I had more time to interview her. She'd be very helpful. But as I understand it, the life and the nutrients is way up on high in the glaciers. And then it melts, and it comes down, and it brings with it life into the lakes, And then there are fish and plankton and then the food chain begins and then it flows down through the rivers and it brings life wherever it goes, life from on high. And then it continues down into the creeks and the tributaries and the streams and it it waters the valleys in which you live. And some of you at certain seasons, you'll even see the life-giving water making its path through, through wherever you happen to live. And sometimes this flows all the way down into Canada. It flows all the way down to the lower 48 and it just brings life wherever it goes and it flows down from on high. And life in the Holy Spirit is like that. It is a forgiveness. It is a joy. It is a peace It is a cleansing, it is a life-giving experience to live by the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that this life that we're talking about is not a life that we create or innovate or that we just sort of carve out of the wilderness of our own experience. It's a life that starts with God. It's a life that starts on high. It's a life that flows down through the broken body of Jesus and the risen body of Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit and this life of God, this life-giving, joy-filled, peace 
creating life. It comes to us and through us by the Holy Spirit. And then it flows, this life does through us to others so that they would be loved and they would be encouraged and they would be nourished and they would be blessed. And there's supposed to be life wherever God's people are because of the flow of the Spirit of God through the children of God into the world that God made. Every time you see something beautiful in creation, stop and remember the creator. When you see the snow fall, remember in Christ, my sins are white as snow. When you hear of someone that is lost in the woods, say apart from Jesus, we're all like that. When someone is found, rejoice and say, the Lord Jesus has done that for me. And when you see the water flowing down from the glaciers, pause and ask, Holy Spirit, let me not grieve you. Let me welcome you to flow in me and through me with this river of forgiveness and life that it might go to others so that they might be nourished and refreshed. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring the, the life of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to bring it into a place where it's a beautiful wilderness But Lord God, apart from you, life is meaningless. And Lord God, I pray particularly for the men, the wounded, the broken, the hurting men who are overcompensating by running off into the woods, hitting the Bible, uh, rather hitting the bottle rather than hitting the Bible. God, running from you rather than to you, trying to self-medicate with a lot of foolish behavior and childlike actions. Lord God, I pray for the women who love you and follow you, but they feel like their husbands are always off in the woods and they're alone. I pray, Lord God, you're the God who goes into the woods. Would you go find these men and bring them not just to your home, but to their home, where this life-giving joy in the Holy Spirit would come to their wives and their kids. Lord God, this is a beautiful place, but it's only beautiful because you made it. And Lord God, this is a place of life, but apart from you, it's a place of death. I thank you for this church and its leadership, and I pray for Pastor Kent and those who serve here. I pray, Lord God, that this would be like a glacier, that the life-giving nourishment of the Holy Spirit would flow down from Alaska through the remainder of the state and out to the world. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you in our presence to remind us of Jesus, our big brother, who went into the woods to find us and laid down his own life to get us out. Father, we come now to be in your presence, not to run from it, but to run to it, to enjoy your presence as your people. Pray you would allow us to love and serve one another as the children of God. And lastly, God, for those who are lost, I pray today they would be found. For those whom you are calling out their name, I pray that they would respond in Jesus' good name.